This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. This is the Future is Bilingual podcast, episode three. Today, we will be talking about different language policies or language plans to help you raise a bilingual child. I like to think of these as methods or strategies rather than policies, which sounds a bit serious because, as we'll see later, you can mix and match them and you don't have to follow one 100% of the time, 100% perfectly. Um, I first want to just apologize. I'm getting a little bit sick, so if my voice sounds a bit weird, that's why. Uh, Hopefully the audio sounds a bit better now that I have my new microphone, thanks to my husband. So the first thing we need to do when we want to raise a bilingual child is to assess uh, what languages are around us, what languages we already naturally speak uh, day to day, and then to really plan how we're going to go about it. Um, I want to first shout out to a fellow podcaster, Kyla Diaz from the Bilingual Parenting Podcast, uh, because she mentioned something called language mapping, uh, and she actually physically draws uh, a map out, but you can also just do simple listing, pen to paper or digital, Uh, and you you list out uh, all of the places that you go in your day-to-day life, the ones you frequent every day, your house, your job, um, to the more rare, like doctor's appointments that you go to once a year. Um, And you also list out all of the people that you interact with. So of course, friends, family, circles that you are um, part of, and even the more rare things, again, like the doctor, the dentist, um, things that you don't do every day. And she, uh, she actually mentions how she colors these in based on what language she speaks. So her family is a bilingual Spanish-English family. And she talks about how she will physically color these things in uh, as red for Spanish and yellow for English. And she can physically, visually see uh, how much she's using Spanish in her day-to-day life and how much she's using English in her day-to-day life. And I just, I thought that was a very interesting idea. Um, and you can also go and check out her podcast if you're interested. She's got a few episodes up. Um, I know she's also expecting a baby, so might not be some episodes uh, coming too soon, but hopefully in the future when she gets back to normal. And I wish her good luck with that. So if language mapping sounds like too much work for you, or you just don't feel like putting it out visually, I have a few questions that you can think about or you can discuss with your partner or your family. Um, So first of all, what languages do we speak? We, meaning mom, dad, grandparents, family, friends, uh, etc. And number two, when do we use each of these languages? So you might think about where you're going, who you're visiting, Um, Do you have certain activities that require you to use different languages? Um, And the final question is, who is going to be spending time with our our baby, with our child? And how often? Is it once a week? Is it going to be every day? Um, Things like that just to help you visualize, again, what languages um, is your child going to be naturally exposed to versus maybe ones that you would like to 
introduce them to, but maybe there isn't a natural context for it to come in. So you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get them enough exposure to that language for it to be worth it um, and for your child to really hear it and come into contact with it, use it and become hopefully bilingual. And speaking of the word bilingual, you might want to think about uh, quietly by yourself or discuss with your partner and family what you really mean by that word. Do you mean that your child can just simply understand and hold conversation with family? Or do you want them to be able to read, write, be academic, maybe go to school, maybe move to that country, live there? Um, so what level um, of fluency are you hoping to achieve um, in that language? And if you have more than two languages, um, really think about how much exposure they're going to get to all of these languages and what your final goal for them is going to be. Because even with two languages, you really have to be intentional about the amount of exposure that the children are going to be getting and their chance to actually use it, um, their motivation. Are there other young people that speak this language or is it just mom and dad and grandpa? Um, so these are all questions you want to ask yourself and think about um, and if you are pregnant and haven't had your baby yet, then you have plenty of time. Um, if your children are already born, then um, you have a little bit less time, but it's never too late to start. Um, children are amazing and young toddlers are amazing. Older children are amazing. They can really pick up um, any language that you, you start speaking to them. Um, it's really about consistency more than it is about age. Of course, it'll be easier for a baby who's born and only just starts hearing that language all the time. But you, it's never too late, so don't get discouraged if your kids are already 5 or 10 or older. All right, so on to the actual policies. Um, so I've, I've got a, a whole list of them. There's a bunch of different ones, and I want to discuss a little bit um, the advantages and disadvantages of each. And after we go through all of those, I will talk a little bit about my own family's personal experience. Um, again, my kids are still young. They're one and two and a half. But what has worked for us so far, um, just to kind of give you an idea of how we use a few of these different methods, we, we don't use one 100%, um, just to kind of give you a real life example. Okay, so the first and the most popular, the most commonly known one um, is known as OPAL which stands for one parent, one language, or one person, one language. So it's O-P-O-L. Um, the advantages to this method uh, is that it's really clear and the expectations are really uh, set in stone. So mom speaks French, dad speaks Spanish, and that's the kid will pick that up really easily and know that, okay, they have to speak Spanish to dad. That's the language he understands, and they have to speak French with mom. Um, parents uh, can use their native language. So this is really advantageous um, that both parents can be comfortable. They're speaking to their kids in their own native language, their strongest language, so that they feel comfortable. They're giving their kids really uh, rich input. Um, and this is also a chance where uh, a child can be trilingual. So if, um, like I said, mom speaks French, dad speaks Spanish, and the community is English speaking, uh, that young kid is going to be brought up to to know three languages pretty well. 
Um, and this is also one of the better methods to raise um, children simultaneously bilingual, which means that they're learning their two languages at the same time. So there's not one that's more dominant um, than the other. Some of the disadvantages, however, uh, just naturally is that the kids might have different levels of exposure. So if they spend more time with mom than they do with dad or vice versa, um, they're just going to have more exposure to that other language. Um, also, one of the questions I always have with this method is, what language does the family speak when they're all together? So in the example I gave off the top of my head, um, if mom speaks French and dad speaks Spanish, there's different ways that this could go. They could all speak French. They could all speak Spanish. They could all speak maybe English if they're living in America or England or somewhere. Um, so that just uh, raises some questions. Um, and I know some people have told me that, oh, you know, we just speak, when I speak to my mom, I always speak in French. And when I speak to my dad, I always speak in Spanish. But um, again, each family is going to do that a little bit differently. And uh, finally, uh, the community language can really uh, easily take precedence if, for example, mom speaks French, but dad speaks English, and they're living in an English-speaking country. So if one of the home languages is also the community language or the majority language, um, it can be very easy for that language to become the preferred language, the dominant language, and for the other language to drop down significantly um, to maybe even just being a passive bilingual, which means that the um, children understand the language, but they don't actively use it. And um, they they lose it more and more over time if they don't uh, participate. Okay, the next uh, popular method is the minority language at home. And this one also has a little acronym, which is ML, the little at sign, and H, or M-L-A-H. Some people write it. Um, so in this uh, method, uh, some of the advantages are that the family, they all speak the same language, um, and the children get lots of exposure exposure, excuse me, to this language because both mom and dad are using this language with them. Um, there are uh, pretty clear rules and expectations. You will speak this language to mom and dad. Um, and a lot of parents, even though it's called minority language at home, um, a lot of parents, myself included, we do this out in the community as well. So um, it's more just minority language with your parents for us. Uh, this causes less confusion than other methods because the children just know that mom and dad speak this language and I speak this language to them. Um, and again, another advantage is that parents uh, can use their native language. So that's not my case, but in a lot of cases, um, when parents have the same native language and they're living in a foreign country, for se for example, um, they decide to raise their kids in their own language. Um, so that would be an example of a minority language at home. So any immigrants that come over and raise their kids uh, to speak their own language, um, it's just more natural for the parents to speak their native tongue. Um, so that's an advantage. Some of the disadvantages um, to this method is that both parents have to know the language pretty well, and they have to both be comfortable speaking it to the children. Um, so this is um, something that I struggle with personally. Um, just 
worrying that I don't speak uh, Polish well enough, etc. Um, and uh, the children, the, the other disadvantage that can um, happen or that people worry about with this method is that um, if the, the child or children are home and they're always uh, speaking this minority language, that when they do finally go to a preschool or kindergarten, um, that they they won't know how to interact with children in the minor in the majority, excuse me, language, um, and that they they will be behind. They will never catch up. Um, so a lot of parents worry about uh, giving their children this disadvantage of not knowing the community language. Um, uh, the third method uh, is has two different names. So sometimes it's called context. And sometimes it's called time and place. Um, I've even seen it written as time, place, activity. Um, so basically the idea with this method is that you use whatever language comes most naturally to that context. Um, so that's obviously an advantage is that it it's natural. It's not trying to force a language upon anything, any certain setting or situation. Um, it's also more inclusive uh, to the people around you. So if um, mom and dad speak Vietnamese at home, but when they go out in uh, into town, they would speak the majority language. So with their, with their children, with the people in town, um, that's the idea, is that you switch wherever you're going, uh, you would use that language. Um, another advantage to this method is that children, um, again, they're really smart, they're really adaptable, and they learn pretty quickly that uh, language is a tool for communication and we can change what tool we're using depending on who we're speaking to. So they um, they pick that up pretty quickly and they become uh, very, uh, I guess, fluent, very good at um, changing their language to fit the situation. Um, some of the drawbacks, some of the disadvantages are that um, children might not get as much exposure to the minority language or minority languages with this method. Um, and it doesn't really have as much consistency as some of the other methods if this is the only thing you're going on. Um, so for example, some people say, oh, when we do this uh, this activity, when we go to this play group, we're going to speak French. Um, but that might not be enough uh, hours of exposure or enough consistency, or maybe we stop going. So if it's based on just a time and a place and an activity, those things can change. Um, so it doesn't really lack, um, it doesn't really have as much consistency as the OPAL or the um, minority language at home methods do. Um, and of course, like with all the methods, the community language can easily dominate um, because if there's no set rule that, you know, we spend most of our time at home. Um, so if there's not a really a set rule about what to do at home, then it's very easy for children to use the language they hear the most, which is going to be the community language or the majority language. Um, a fourth method, um, and these are, uh, um, I gave the most popular, the most commonly used ones first. So these methods that I'm going to mention now are a little bit less common. Um, some people alternate uh, different languages on different days or even by week. So maybe one week they speak Russian and one week they speak German. Um, so this has an advantage that the kids, they're getting the full immersion. So a full day 
of Russian or a full week of German. Um, so they're getting that, um, like the minority language at home or like the OPAL, they're getting a full immersion experience. Um, some of the disadvantages, however, are that it can be difficult um, for adults and kids alike to suddenly switch back and forth, especially day to day, um, which is why a lot of people do a full week. Um, there's also people that just do, if you're starting out, you might just want to do one hour. We're going to speak Korean for one hour and see how we do. Um, so there's all different time frames that you can do this with um, to try and get your kids, depending on their age and their level, uh, comfortable speaking that language. Um, so it can be a little bit difficult for all uh, parties involved to switch back and forth. Um, and you also, as the parent, you would have to manage that. You would have to decide what is the time length that we want to do, um, what makes the most sense. Um, so it's just another thing to to think about and manage. And um, if you do have really small kids, um, as I do, they don't understand time. They don't understand schedules. They don't know what days of the weeks you know, are or anything like that. So um, it can be a little bit confusing for them if you say, okay, on, on Fridays we speak, we speak Swahili. You know, they don't know what Friday means. So this might work better with older children, um, children who are school age, they know, uh, days and weeks and uh, they understand time a little bit better. Um, a fifth method, uh, is one I didn't really know about until recently, but, um, some people do something called one language first. And that's basically the idea is they want to establish fluency in one language first, and then they just will add on a second language. Um, so the context I heard this in was that they uh, waited until their, um, I think it was a daughter, was um, until she was four, and she was very fluent in her first language before they introduced a second one. Um, so I guess the advantage would be that um, you establish fluency. You know that your um, your child doesn't have any language delays or anything like that. Um, however, the disadvantages would be that that first language is always going to be stronger and dominant. Um, and again, you're not going to raise a simultaneous bilingual because you've purposefully waited uh, to introduce any other languages. Um, another method is mixing, it's called mixing languages. Um, and this one is probably the least structured. Um, so you just mix languages however you feel fits the best. So it's it's more natural in that sense. Um, and uh, a big advantage to this one is that kids don't feel pressure. Um, so sometimes uh, an issue with trying to raise a bilingual child as if uh, trying to do anything, trying to teach your kid anything, um, parents can put a lot of pressure on their, on their children without meaning to. Um, so with this method of just mixing as it as it comes, um, your your kids don't feel the pressure to, oh, we have to speak French for this one hour, or I have to always answer my parents in this language. Um, so it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, of course, a disadvantage is that there is no consistency. Um, and of course, the majority language will very easily take over because there's no set rules, no hard and fast rules to follow. Um the seventh method, which is not really a method, but it's something that you might um, consider using, is to get some outside help. So I listed things like au pair, nanny, 
daycare, school uh, classes. So sometimes uh, my minority languages might have Saturday or Sunday classes um, to hire a tutor, etc. There's really a lot of ways you could go about this. Um, one of the big advantages of um, something like getting an au pair or a nanny is that they're usually native speakers. Um, they spend a lot of time with your kids, so they can teach them a lot of natural language um, in a natural setting. Uh, however, there are some disadvantages um, to this method. One being that parents might uh, not even be part of this bilingual journey. They might not understand the language. They might not speak it. And uh, kids are amazing. They'll pick things up very quickly. Um, so you might feel a little bit left out if, uh, for instance, if we got a German au pair um, and started the, uh, the au pair taught my kids German, I would have no idea what's going on. Um, so that could be a big disadvantage for the parents. Um, and again, the children might learn a language that you don't know, and then they can, they can say all sorts of things about you, uh, especially if you have two kids to each other. Um, so just things to think about. And one final method is that you could move abroad. <laughs> and of course, this is um, not feasible for everybody, so that's a big disadvantage. But if you can move abroad uh, or spend um, a, a good amount of time, a month or so or more, um, you can provide your, your uh, children with complete immersion and very natural language, native speakers, um, lots of consistency, just lots of exposure. Um, however, depending on the age of your, your children and their prior knowledge, um, this can be quite overwhelming um, for both your children and yourself. Um, so just some things to think about. But if the opportunity presents itself, then I'd say, why not? Okay, so finally, um, my last part of this episode that I'd like to talk about is how to decide what's right for you. So I listed eight different methods. I'll go through them really quickly. The OPAL or one parent, one language. The number two was minority language at home. Number three, the context or the time and place method. Uh, number four was alternating days or weeks or even just doing it for an hour. Number five was doing one language first. Number six was mixing languages, so kind of not really having a plan. Uh, number seven was getting some outside help, like an au pair or a nanny. And uh, number eight was moving abroad. Um, so again, there's lots of different methods, and I don't suggest that you uh, try and follow one 100% unless that feels right for you. Uh, so I'd like to tell you a little bit about what our family does. Again, my kids are still little, and I'm sure things will change as they get older and they enter school. Um but before I do that, I just wanted to tell you about my dream um, and how what that would involve if it were to happen. So if I could do all these things, um, my dream would be to use the OPAL method where I would speak French and my husband would speak Polish. Um, since I'm the one home with them all day, um, and this is just a dream, I would love to have a uh, Polish au pair who could live with us and speak all her perfect Polish um, to my kids all day long and also help me cook and clean. And uh, as a family, we would speak Polish because uh, my kids have Polish grandparents and we have lots of Polish friends around. Um, and if my dream could 
come true, uh, then I would love to have a bilingual school nearby that they could go to, whether it's French and English or Polish and English or French and Polish. Again, we're just dreaming. So that would be great. Um, and that all sounds great. I would love to use the the opal and the minority language at home um, and have some bilingual schooling to get that outside help with the au pair. But that is not my reality. So my actual situation is that we use the minority language at home uh, mainly, but we also do a little bit of time and place or the context method. Um, my husband and I, we both uh, speak Polish only to our kids, um, and we're both pretty good about doing that. Um, however, uh, I'm with them most of the day, and we do go out into the community, and we do things. We go to play groups, and we visit family and friends. Um, so I do speak to them in English when I'm with those English-speaking uh, friends and family. So um, the interesting thing is that I've I've noticed that my two-and-a-half-year-old will still speak to me in Polish um, and then turn to his grandma and say the exact same thing in English to her. Or um, he'll say something to me in Polish but then say something else different. Um, you know, he only – he knows to speak to grandma in English – um, but he usually, not 100% of the time, sometimes he'll speak in English, but he usually will speak to me in Polish still, even when we're out and about um, in our English-speaking world. Um, so that it is interesting. Again, he's only two and a half, so he's still kind of figuring out who speaks what. Um, is it appropriate to speak this language at this time? Um, when my... Um, when my husband and I are together, we try and speak only Polish, but um, we definitely will speak English to each other. Um, and I know we're trying, um, I personally would like to work on that for this coming year to speak more consistently in Polish. Um, again, our kids are little, but they are listening. Um, and our son will, if he hears us say an English word, he'll often repeat it. Um, and kind of, he thinks it's kind of funny, like, oh, what's this weird word that they just said? Um, but you know, English is my native language. And then my husband is working all day speaking English. So sometimes it's just, it's natural and English will come out a lot. Um, the things we say to our kids are, are simpler and it's so routine. Um, I'm so used to just speaking to them in Polish. So, um, we do our best, but we definitely mix, um, those two methods a lot. Um, and, I guess we're just lucky that we have we have lots of Polish friends and they also have kids and we have my in-laws um, and lots of family, cousins and uncles and aunts. Um, so I, I know that even if our uh, minority language at home situation isn't always perfect, um, I know that they'll get lots of exposure. Uh, hearing Polish, you know, all of our friends and family are native. I'm the only one that's not, <laughs> unfortunately. Um so they have lots of native exposure. Um, they luckily have other kids that will speak Polish. So that's amazing. It's so great. Um, and we just, we keep doing our, our best and uh, we'll keep you posted on, on this little journey that we're on. So I hope that this episode was helpful. Um, I know it sounds a little formal to say the policy, but um, just try and think of them as suggestions, uh, things that can help you stay on track because raising a bilingual child is a lot of work. Um, it takes, it takes effort. Uh, so 
and you know don't don't beat yourself up like I am uh, if you are code switching or you're mixing languages um, because any and all exposure that you're giving your kids to those two languages is amazing and kids are smart and they will listen and they will pick it up and who knows who knows where they'll take it in the future uh, what they'll use it for where they'll go with it where they'll travel um, so just think about the gift the gift of language, the gift of bilingualism that you're giving your kid. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you stay tuned for the future episodes and stay well. Bye-bye.